Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Let's all go to the lobby. Hello and welcome to Movies vs. Capitalism, an anti-capitalist movie podcast. I am Rivka. And I am Frank. And as of this past weekend, officially an Ambi-nominated podcast. Woo-woo-woo-woo. Yes, in case uh, you haven't already heard, if you're not reading the trades, uh, we <laughs> this podcast, Movies vs. Capitalism, was nominated for the Podcast Academy's Ambi Awards in the Best Entertainment Podcast category. So we found that out just a few days ago, and we are very excited. We are thrilled. We are absolutely thrilled and honored and blah, blah, blah. I feel kind of like it's, <laughs> I feel kind of like we're Trojan horsing it a bit because we're nominated in the best entertainment category as opposed to like best political commentary. Well, yeah, I, I wouldn't imagine they would necessarily put us <laughs> in best political commentary, but well, I just think it's fun. I, I just think it's fun that we're we're going to be out there with our anti-capitalism. Yeah, be really fun if we won. And then they let us on stage and hold microphones <laughs> and speak to the room. I don't know what we would say, but we'll figure it out. Uh, but I also want to say we share this nomination with the amazing Ren Mack, who was our guest on the episode that we submitted to the Ambi Awards, the Matrix episode. So truly, we share this nomination with Ren, owe them just as much as, you know, the time and effort that Rivka and I put in on this. So thank you, Ren. And if you haven't listened to that episode, it's official selection now. Yeah, there you go. They are brilliant on it, so... But Rivka, you had one news item that you wanted to talk about today. What's on the docket? Well, Tommy, my partner, I say that every time. Y'all, if you listen, you know who Tommy is. You know who Tommy is. Both me and you, but separately, odd choice to not do it in a group chat, this article. And so then I texted it to you and you're like, Tommy already texted it to me. But I do think mm -hmm. it's just, you know, it's one of those that comes around and it's a great example of just how capitalism and the business of making movies under capitalism just completely is antithetical to art making. Yeah. Um, and will favor capital over art and the artists and even putting the art out there. So this was an article in IndieWire titled, Here's Why Coyote vs. Acme is Worth More Dead Than Alive. And yep, it's legal. Warner Brothers Discovery would rather take a $70 million loss than a $35 million offer. It was written by Tony Maglio. A little bit of background what's been happening, and this is something that we've talked about briefly on this show, and I know we've covered over at The Lever, which is in the age of streaming, some of these studios and streamers, the places that actually own the streaming platforms, have discovered that with some of these new productions that were greenlit prior to all these giant mergers, someone crunched some numbers and realized that it is more financially beneficial to these companies to shelve these movies, even if they're fully finished, fully produced, shelve them or just take them off of their streaming services entirely and accept them as a loss rather than putting them out there for people to see. So it's essentially destroying art for the sake of the bottom line. Correct, exactly. And that's what happened in this case. It was made for about $70 million. And even though it was shopped for, I think, about 10 different people and they got an offer for less than that, they may have taken a loss, but the film would have been put out for people to see. And presumably that's like why we make movies, right? So people can view them, enjoy them. That's why the artists do it. That's the point. But no, like you just said, it made more sense financially for them to take the tax break. And this isn't the first 
first time this happened, as you said, this happened with the film Batgirl and there was... It's happened a few times. Yeah, it's happened a few times and it continues to happen and people are like, this is the system, the economic system we live in and this is the system working as is. This is what's... This is good for business. Terrible Mm -hmm. for art, great for business. And ultimately, it's how things are going to be when you make films in this system. It's probably going to get worse because as we know, the unceasing desire for capital will just keep us rushing towards this. I'm sure it's going to happen more and more. I just thought this was a great example of just how really ridiculous it is. And so if next time you're in conversation with someone and they're like, well, what's the big deal? You can be like, well, movies are just get being made and getting shelved. I mean, that's, could you imagine, especially for Batgirl, I can't remember the actress's name, um, but it was a big deal for her to be cast in that character. It was a big deal to have Batgirl and just shelved for profit. Devastating. Devastating. And actually, I think shelved isn't even the right term for it because shelved is a thing that happens to projects at Mm -hmm. any given point over the development process. It's like, you know, oh, we hate you for a script. The script didn't turn out how we wanted it. You know, we're not going to actually shoot the pilot or the movie. So that's shelved. What's happening here is that these are completed productions. (laughs) Like they've spent the money on the production. The thing is, if not fully edited and done, it is shot and in the can. And then at that point, they're like, Actually, get rid of it. Get rid of all of this this work that people have put on. I think they use the term boxed in the article. Maybe we would say something more like piss-soaked. <laughs> Shut on. <laughs> arson. It's like arson. Arson. Digital arson. That's a that's, that's the exact it. That's, that's it. it. And most importantly, at least for me, this just this goes against the common wisdom in capitalist economics that the market will always spur innovation. The market will always create the best outcomes. The market will force people to make the best decisions, both creatively and scientifically and environmentally. And and we see time and time again that that is just bullshit and that very often the market is incentivizing whatever is just going to create the most profit at the end. And whether that is destroying an entire movie that a lot of people have worked on that no one will ever see, or whether it is burying a scientific report that your chemicals have poisoned a community, it's it's the same thing. It's it's The market does not prioritize innovation. It prioritizes profit above all else. And this is just another example of that. Yeah, go off. I will. I will. It's our podcast. I can go off as much as I'd like. (laughs) Well, yeah, I think that was a nice, solid, tangible topical. We should head on over to our conversation of cars. Let's drive on down to that conversation about cars. Drive on down. But before we get on the road, Wow. This is why we got nominated for an Abbey Award right here. You're hearing it. Mm -hmm. It's the, yeah, it's the segues, truly. Just want to let you all know that this podcast is produced by the two of us. Yes, we perform all of the necessary labor to make this show happen. And as we are trying to practice our anti-capitalist values, we don't sell ads on this show. Instead, we rely completely on community support to keep the show going. So if you're able to support us, please consider subscribing to our Patreon. For just $5 a month, you get access to our entire back catalog of premium episodes, and you will be directly supporting this show. You could also leave us a one-time contribution in our tip jar, and you can find all of those links in the episode description in your podcast player or by going to mvcpod.com. You can also help us out for free by leaving a rating and review for this show on your podcast app. It takes two seconds, and it's super helpful in boosting the algorithm and getting this show in front of more people, and we really appreciate it. All right, we'll be right back with our conversation about cars with CJ Kep. All right, we are once again joined by CJ Kep. CJ is a climate activist, improviser, and stand-up comedian based in San Francisco. CJ, 
Welcome back to the program. Thank you. Happy to be here. CJ, you just told us right before we started recording that you have a new a new skill that you might be adding to the official bio soon. You are taking a clown class, right? Yes. Very prestigious clown education happening. I mean, clowning is a very serious business for, for yes. those who don't know a lot about clowning. So we wanted to talk about this because Rivka and I also took clowning in college in our theater program. Uh, we did earn our red noses, but I, I would love to hear about your experience so far. It's been surprisingly psychological. And like, <laughs> I feel like there's this whole, I don't know, the, the the woman that I'm working with is brilliant. Like she talks about how the clown's journey is kind of going back and forth between these like really happy and really sad states, which kind of mirrors, you know, our own journeys throughout our day of feeling great, feeling horrible, feeling great, feeling horrible. I don't know. It feels very meditative. Uh, I also, I'm kind of interested in using it for like political purposes. I have a friend who's from Puerto Rico who said that they used to go to protests and they would have clowns show up who would like mimic the cops. Like they would like <laughs> sit right behind the cops and like make fun of them <laughs> physically. And I'm like, that just seems like that's my dream. I would love to do that. Yeah, I love that. Clowns are just so inherently anti-capitalist. I mean, they're doing what I think great stand-up comedians are like in touch with their clown and just being so in touch with just the primary emotions uh, and the physical nature of it. It's like, especially in a world where we've gotten so intellectualized, I think it's just really important, really profound. There's also been so much, it's been cool to see a resurgence of clowning come up in like the popular culture. There's the It movie. Right. That was big. <laughs> yes, yes. It was huge for the new clown boom. Yeah. It, exactly. That's what I was talking the community, about. community, yeah. Nate, did you watch Nate on... Oh, yes. The the Natalie Palomides. Exactly. Like, yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. there's just been this resurgence, particularly for, like, female identifying performers, which I think is really cool because they're allowed... There's just so much you can just enter into the grotesque and don't have to justify it. So love that. Maybe next time we'll have you on as your clown. Oh, God. That would hit for a podcast. <laughs> that would be insane. Just 40 <laughs> minutes of silence. <laughs> like honk noises or like pies splattering. Yeah, I would love to. Hear, how was your how were your experiences uh, delving into the world of clown? I know for me, it was one of those things where I, like I, I remember as we were discovering our clowns, you know, it was a lot of like improvisation and you're just sort of like just creating these these biographical details out of nowhere. And then like you, we would finish a class and our teacher would pull us aside and be like, hey, so you talked about how like your clown was hurt as a child. Does that have something to do with your childhood? And you'd be like, oh, my God. You're right. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, it, you know, in, in the world of uh, undergrad, when you're we were so young, you know, you're still basically a child. And I I had the same experience, right? It was very deep and it was really important to my sort of big path towards towards understanding my identity and who I am more in, sh in the shape of that. But I could see how that could also be like, there's many places that could go. You need the right teacher because it could be a little, there's potential yeah. for emotional manipulation mm -hmm. of all kind. Like any theater class. Yeah, teachers, yeah, yeah. Teachers can be very dangerous. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's like a new level of clown trauma. I know a lot of people are afraid of clowning. Okay, so speaking of clowns, get those silly things out of the way because we're talking about a very serious film. The movie you chose for us to watch today, which I believe it was both Frank and our eyes, first time. First time. Wow. First time. Last time as well. <laughs> wow. Same Z's, but let's get into it. I'm glad I was, I, I'm glad there wasn't, the assignment was given. So thank you. Same. We watched Cars. Cars, directed by John Lasseter and Joe Ramped, written by 
Lassiter and Ramped, along with Jorgen Klubian, Dan Fogelman, Keel Marie, and Phil Lauren, starring Owen Wilson, Paul Newman, Bonnie Hunt, Michael Keaton, and Larry the Cable Guy. The budget for Cars was $120 million, but don't worry, because it made $491 million worldwide. If you haven't seen this movie or you need a refresher, Cars is set in a world where humans do not exist and all vehicles are sentient. Cars follows the story of the rookie race car sensation Lightning McQueen, whose dream is to win the illustrious Piston Cup. After a three-way tie between McQueen and his two rivals, they must travel to Los Angeles for the official rematch. But Lightning McQueen gets waylaid in the small southwestern town of Radiator Springs after accidentally destroying the town's main road and being ordered to repair it by Judge Doc Hudson. He's then forced to spend time with the townsfolk and learn how to not be a self-interested shithead. So a little bit of historical context for this film. Released on June 9th, 2006, George W. Bush is the president of the United States and the U.S. is still mired in wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. In January, Samuel Alito is sworn in as an associate justice of the Supreme Court. In February, Vice President Dick Cheney accidentally shoots and wounds his friend while they were quail hunting in southern Texas. Over the summer, housing prices peak in the U.S. before the housing market bubble bursts, ushering in the subprime mortgage crisis. In October, Google buys YouTube for $1.65 billion. In November, the midterm elections result in the Democrats uh, regaining control of both houses of Congress. And just for the average American, the ad- average annual income is $37,900. A house costs $266,000. The average rent is $950. And a gallon of gas is $3.03. What, what was 2006 for the two of you? I know it was like, it was, Rick, it was our last year of high school. I was six or seven, I think. Oh, wow. Okay. I was probably eating dirt, putting crayons <laughs> up my nose. Uh, Were you watching Cars? Was this a movie? Was this I like saw a- it as a child and then was re-watching it recently just because I hadn't seen it in a while. And there's, you know, if you look on like Disney Plus, there's like Cars 2, Cars 3, Cars series, Mater spinoff. Like it's like a huge franchise now. And I, I'd been to the, the Pixar headquarters recently and had like seen all the Cars statues. And I was like, I should watch this. And then the I, my brain was like on full power when I was because I grew up in a very small town too so I was like wait I'm putting all these pieces together I'm shocked that you guys didn't have a good time watching it (laughs) I'm so curious to hear more (laughs) we'll get into that but I would like to give you the floor first I want to know your your take I want to know what was firing Mm -hmm. because you reached out back to us and you were like hey we have to talk about cars. Someone needs to talk about cars. We're like, we're, we're like, all right, let's let's talk about cars. So why did you choose this movie for us? I So I, I grew up in a very small town. I grew up in a town of about 5,000 people in, in Wisconsin. And I was there from ages like zero to 18. Didn't move or anything. And I feel like that experience and the biases and challenges that rural communities face are almost never talked about or portrayed in movies or anything so to see this movie so explicitly lay out like look at what happened to the small town talking about you know the economic decline after they built the interstate system i don't know that that was like so fascinating to me and seeing that kind of change i don't know there's there's all these like hilarious lines in the film that i feel like i've literally heard before like people talking about like He's like, I'm in hillbilly hell. Like I could feel my IQ dropping by the second. And I'm like, that is literally how people like see rural communities. And like being from there, like I, you know, I know people like that, but I also know a lot of people there who are like very smart and like leftist or progressive and 
artists and I don't know, like there, there's like such a huge variety of people. And I feel like that's not something that is talked about. Although I was shocked by how like diverse the small town in Cars was. I have not seen a small town. Very, they kind very of diverse. Covered that that global, was beautiful. Yeah, a global it was inspiring. Small town in exactly. Two full-blooded Italians living in the town. <laughs> how did they get there? How, yeah. did they, how did they get there? Maybe it's just, maybe it's discussed in the other Cars movies. Maybe that's yeah. I, I haven't seen any of the other ones. I've only seen this one. <laughs> CG, I, 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 I'm down with everything that you just said, and, and and I thought that was the strongest part of the movie was its its portrayal of yeah, like what you're saying, like small rural town America, and especially the way that industrialization has left so many communities behind, and how you know the need for just chasing ever ever-increasing profits or, like, more lucrative markets or, in the case of cars, just, like, people shaving 10 minutes off of their commute as they're, as they're traveling across the country. Like, these small—these choices, while seeming small in a, in a capitalist's purview, end up having, like, these ramifications on these communities. And I thought that, that I really did appreciate. And like Rivka saying, I'd never seen this. For some reason, I don't know why, when Cars came out, I was like, fuck that movie. I don't want to see that movie. Like, I just had a feeling that I wasn't going to like it. I don't know what it was. And I'm realizing that, like, I, it, it feels like the Pixar movie, like, for middle America. Like, that's the audience it is, it's aiming towards. And I think just as, like, a shithead 18-year-old from New Jersey, I was like, I don't give a shit about cars racing around in the Midwest. So... While I didn't love the movie, I am glad that I finally got to see it because I because I do think you're right. I think there's like a lot of a lot of valuable things it has to say about the way that industrialization has just fucked over so many small communities in the country. And that's a great example of that like anti-rural bias immediately of you just being like, oh, this takes place in the middle of nowhere. Fuck this. I'm not going to watch it. Yeah. <laughs> like that's very yeah, real. Yeah. yeah, I agree. No, I think that everything you're saying was the most interesting part of it. The second it came on, I too, but I didn't have this. I didn't even know it came out in 2000s. I don't think I was thinking about kids' movies. <laughs> like to me, I was like, that's a child's film. Oh, I was fully in on these Pixar movies, at the, even <laughs> in high school. The Incredibles came out the year before. Ratatouille comes out the year after. I was so in the theater good. for no, that was both not, of those. That was not me. I was seeing Hotel Rwanda, but okay, to each their wow. own. Wow. For which I cut school. <laughs> so cool, Rachel. Wow. Core yeah. memory. Um, <laughs> so my initial, like, I did put this on. Being like, I, I can handle it now. This will be fun. My initial reaction, I'll be honest, I wrote nightmare film. I was like, this is an... <laughs> I, was like, <laughs> I was like, this is... I had a... And I was shocked. I had a full body visceral response to... You know what it was? I don't like the concept of anthro pomorphic vehicles i was really disturbed i had to pause because i was like i might throw up i don't like seeing tongues <laughs> coming out of cars it made me think i went into a, i was like wait when this came out and the you know the like whole that episode on like the guy who likes to have sex with the cars on my strange addiction i was like <gasps> is this what is going on this is like yeah that not, inspired this movie this create a whole bunch That's of the target audience yeah and then i got before i could even fit, like get past that i was just like what am i feeling i unpacked it a bit i think there's something that's just really well i think it's nice that we have and maybe some people maybe it's inherent to human beings i don't know this like thing of where we have to make everything human to feel like I can only relate to you if you were like me, tree. Like, that tree could be a human too and could speak. You know, it's a little 
I can't imagine that all cultures were always like this, where they're like, you have to be like a human for me to relate to you. It's like speciesism or speciesist. Mm -hmm. Yeah, or like, yes. And I'm sure there's something climate relate too, where it's like, what can mm -hmm. can't you just appreciate that like things actually are not human, but they're still valuable and like Or that like animals have their own emotions. And so do cars, apparently. Right. <laughs> I, that's like you could not get more of a car centric society than in the movie Cars. Do you know what I mean? Like, where's the public transit? No, no, no. I couldn't. I said, are you kidding me? Because I was like, certainly they're talking. Obviously, I know Cars is going to be talking cars. I'm not, you know, what was I going to expect? What I did not, I was not prepared for was that these cars were a society of cars. So there's a car driving another car. I said, what is happening? There's a truck driving it. I said, that car is a car. Why is that car not driving itself? I didn't. The rules of this world were bananas. The, I kept getting stuck on when he's fixing the road and he's he's hauling this machine behind him that they call Bessie that is presumably not alive. And I was like, where is the line between like <laughs> a living machine? Like, is Bessie a corpse? Like, I don't understand where she, she has a name. Like, it feels like if it was just a machine, you wouldn't name it and give it female pronouns. Like, that was the mind-boggling part to me. Also, car reproduction. We don't have to get that deep into it, but... And the pronouns. It was very 2006 in that. I was like, wow, yeah. we have cars. You could create any rules to this world. They are cars. And they were like, chicks and dudes. Like, yeah. that was... Once I got past that, there was there were more layers to unpack. I also, I shared this with Frank, but I had to finish the movie while I was at the gym. I, I mean, I didn't have to, but I chose to. But <laughs> <laughs> Noah was forcing me to. But in order to get all the things I wanted to do in one day, all my productivity out, I, ha I made the choice. And then, so I'm like in the middle of working out, but I'm like, everyone can see that I am watching Cars. <laughs> And like taking notes on it. You're like studying it. <laughs> In the middle of just like, you know, deadlifts and like, but watching cars. I'm like, it was just hard for me to let go of like, there are some people here who think this is like my idea of a good time. Yeah, you're just trying to get gassed up. No, you know, pun <laughs> fully, in fully intended. Okay. You're just watching Light Lightning McQueen rip those turns. No, it's, it's an absolutely bonkers movie in terms of like story logic. The blimps are sentient. The trains are sentient. But the tractors are cows. Why did they not get to be sentient as well? Well, they're sentient. They're just not. They're dumb. He says they're. They sure are dumb, aren't they? <laughs> like he has some line. Um, <laughs> should we get into the the nitty gritty of this film? I would love to. Where Where do we even begin? So there there were a lot of things that I I, I like. We're saying I, I really appreciate this small town versus you know the kind of like the I don't know the the elite individual in in Lightning McQueen coming into this town and I thought that there I thought this movie had a lot to say about like the valuable individual versus like the worthless bumpkins and how that's just like a very regular part of the way that like narratives in a lot of films work which is like oh you have this exceptional person who's like the best I mean like he might be a little bit of like a, a shithead but ultimately he is the best and we're only going to get to explore his self-worth once he like comes down to the level of these small town folks and he get and he learns the, the you know the value of community which i think is incredibly important but like very oversimplified as well i found yeah you're touching on well the class stuff i thought was really interesting again question about the world because bonnie hunt's character who's the love interest i suppose she's the the Porsche. The Porsche. The girl car, if you will. <laughs> the girl car. The fancy girl car. girl car. 
Yeah. She's the Porsche, and she also, there's this element, I also, in one of my notes wrote, I wrote, this is the tortoise and the hare meets the simple life, but cars. There was like a very simple life, which I think came Oh, the was Paris it? Hilton. Okay. Yeah. yeah, right? Yeah, the Paris Hilton, yeah. Nicole, yeah, yeah. Because that, that was that whole idea. It was like, we're city girls going to like mm-hmm. small towns to learn lessons. It felt very like she she came to the small town from LA being a high-powered lawyer, but fell in love with it but also was she always a porsche so there was this inherent Mm. like you are like that was interesting about class because i'm like do you is there upward mobility or are you just born was she born a porsche i was very curious about that with lightning mcqueen because in the very beginning he has a sponsorship from this uh, uh corporation called rusties that primarily serves what i understand to be working class cars that are rusty yeah and he, he like looks down at them and he has that line where he's like with some rusties and a lot of luck you too could look like me and i'm like did you start off were you upwardly mobile were you born into wealth and privilege like i didn't understand i feel like we didn't get mcqueen's backstory we were just kind of thrown into him being an asshole as an adult. That's really interesting. I missed that. Totally. And they could have gone there. I'm I'm not expecting like a full class analysis from this movie, but it's like, we don't like rusty cars because they're rusty. It's like, we don't like the Radiator Springs cars because they live in their, this small town. Clearly, like the Porsche and the race car are like higher class cars than like the pickup truck or just like the regular old sedan. So there's like... There's a very clear class thing happening. The first time I was like, okay, there might be something here. This is a little interesting and odd. Was so McQueen's being driven to L.A. inside of a truck. Which we could do a whole podcast episode on that. (laughs) Yeah. So like inside of this truck. And then that dynamic between the two of them was like fucked up because he's inside this truck. We find out he doesn't have any friends his agent is kind of this Jewish stereotype. There's a lot of like stereotypes too, like this Jewish stereotypical agent who only wants you know. Jeremy Piven. Right, right. Yeah. I'm fascinated by like the car religions. I'm like, was there a car Jesus? Like, well, how far does it go? I'm sure. And <laughs> then he is like pushing this truck, his his driver, to get to LA faster. He is, by the way, a speed racer. He's like, don't go. The truck driver wants to go to the side with all the other trucks who are sleeping. And he says, no, you know, you can do it. Just push through. I'm going to take a nap, but you're going to drive us there. And so because he's pushing him through, the truck falls asleep on the road because dangerous working conditions. Like he like pushes. And I guess he's his employer, really. Like it's he's a it's fucked up. And there's never any he shows up at the end, but there's never really an f- apology there. That would have been a nice touch. That's very totally true. Right. Um, I, I do want to point out McQueen does not have headlights, so he would not even be able to drive in the interstate. Oh, that's right. That was one of the things that I also loved about this movie is that his body literally was not equipped to deal with rural conditions, because I think people have this assumption that like, you know, you have to be like really tough to like make it in cities and like real people are fucking idiots. But I'm like, he yeah, he doesn't have headlights. Like I Sally calls him stickers because he literally has stickers <laughs> that look like headlights on the front of his thing. He doesn't have three wheel brakes, so he can't drive on dirt. He doesn't have a horn for tractor flipping. Like there's so many things that like he can't do that all of these people do on a regular basis or like need to survive. And again, just like this this him thinking that he's better than them, but also like literally not even being able to physically do the things that they do there to live in that community. Oh, I like that a lot. 
Yeah, now that we're getting into his character, I mean, I guess they were really going more trying to go after this idea. Like, there's something about fame and, like, it's kind of the tropey story of, like, fame will fuck you up and we have to bring you back down so that you can be more famous. And he, well, he doesn't win, spoiler alert. Like, he goes back to the rematch and he learns this lesson. He helps out this old car. It's very sweet. But ultimately, it still makes him more famous. So, like, to me at the end, like, if I'm watching this as a child trying to get my messaging about the world, my takeaway would have been, it's still very good to be famous, but you should be humble famous. Yes. that's It's like you need to be humbled first, but then you can go on to your individual success with the support of the community behind you because mm-hmm. that's ultimately what they are for. This is what I was trying to get at. So, so much of McQueen's arc is just like individual based and even when he starts to like change his tune and is like, oh, I guess I guess all these cars aren't morons in this town and starts to become like a nicer car. Sort of like the cap on that arc is like, oh, you went around and you helped every person in the town. Like you individually went around and did all of these mm. things. And like, we would not have been able to figure any of this out or rejuvenate our own town had it not been for you, Lightning McQueen, who came and sure you were an asshole at first. But now you're a good guy and you you are the one who actually saved our town. So it's just it, it's just a lot of this was just rooted in individual exceptionalism. But if he really changed, he would have said sorry to the driver who he literally let <laughs> fall asleep on the road. That was wild. I saw a lot of his character arc as going from again this this very like buying into this capitalist myth of like individual success and everything. Like there's this scene at the beginning, he's doing this race and uh, his his crew team is trying to fix the tires. And then they quit because he's talking about how he's doing everything himself. And he's like, oh, great. Where am I going to find someone that knows how to change a tire? Like just instantly like devaluing their labor and the way that they like helped him get to that point. And going from that and like, you know, saying all these like insane things about the small town community, talking about being in hillbilly hell. He When he's fixing the road, he does like a shit job the first time. And they're like, this is not okay. And he's like, well, it looks like shit, but it matches the rest of the town. Like that, like going from that kind of belief. I know, I know. Um, In Owen Wilson's voice too, which just makes it so much more insufferable. But going from that (laughs) to like actually like developing relationships with individual people in the community on like a deeper level and like having a better understanding of the community and like more appreciation. Like there's that scene where he's slow driving with Sally and he sees the waterfall and he's like, holy shit, wait, this is beautiful. Like, there's all these things about this place that I don't know about. And going from that to investing in the community, I think he opens like a race headquarters. I don't know if that's even a real thing, but he opens something there. <laughs> um, and then you have all these people that are like coming back into the town, which yeah, it, it is very individualistic, but I feel like it does like kind of mirror like one way that you could help a lot of rural communities because a, a lot of like small towns are affected by whatever industry they're built around leaving or circumstances that make it basically impossible to keep doing it. So I'm from like a very big agricultural community and because of globalization and and new technologies, it's gotten easier for a very small group of people to farm a very large piece of land. So like smaller family farmers who like aren't, you know, putting chickens in these like little (laughs) tiny spaces, like can't compete with that. Like I know people that Mm. uh, have a small farm and they literally have to work full time just to keep the farm running because they're losing Uh. money on it. 
And that's like most yeah. like small and family farms. I think like half of them are like losing money on it. Monsanto and Bill Gates just own like all of the farmland in America now. So it's just like, it's impossible mm. to compete on that scale. So yeah, so this idea of like bringing in, literally just like dumping money into, into rural areas or opening up, I think that they start opening up a lot of different, there's like a racing museum and then they're like reopening that motor court something i don't know but yeah they end up investing a ton of the community and i feel like that helps a lot although yeah i don't know that there is like a simple solution to people that are living in small towns i like the reinvestment message but it, it kind of felt part and parcel to the way that this movie just sort of like oversimplified and stereotyped everyone and everything we haven't talked about mater at all which <laughs> who is the town tow truck who is voiced by larry the cable guy and you know, for a movie whose message is like, well, not everyone from a small town is a, you know, a moron. They're really like, but this guy is a fucking moron. So it's kind of like it's kind of like we're we're criticizing that idea, but also at the same mm -hmm. time, we're reinforcing it. Also, I wanted to mention before I forgot when uh, his truck loses him on the freeway, he's getting mugged by these cars with like all of these like lights and rims on and hip-hop music starts to play so we're they're like these are the black cars I, yeah i was confused about that that's kind of felt yeah. like how this movie was operating which is just like well, we're just that's gonna every character and they and, and they end up in jail in in the post-credit scene i don't know if you watch oh, oh did, i didn't know there was a <laughs> yeah. post-credit scene gonna have to go back oh yeah that's why yeah i and again i mean before everyone's like but what are you guys talking about as a cartoon? What do you expect? Like, it's a children's movie. Let it be. Like, this is actually where it's probably the most influential. And obviously, it's 2006. Like, I think movies are hoping to get better. But a lot of people wouldn't even analyze it this deeply. And it's like, what's most important to analyze deeply? Because this is, you look at the age of kids that this is marketed to. I mean, I think a lot of it's like nonverbal. Like, you're you're probably putting this movie on for kids who are like, oh cars a tongue is coming out of that car they're not totally mortified yet i think that's why it's not as unsettling for me because i feel like i watched it when i was younger and i'm like used to it but it is his tongue jarring. comes out far enough for him to have a tie, tie, yeah. tie. i said that is absolutely mortifying jail right away it will that will be my my psyche forever but like kids are watching this that's their first they're like oh they're getting this messaging of like these stereotypes of like Jews are money grubbing agents, you know, like that you're like hillbillies talk like this and like, yeah, you should feel good. But like, it's not what you want to be. You actually would rather be you want to have money and be able to make mm. the choice to come down. You don't want to like be born in this caste. It's literally a caste system. But like kids can't dissect it. Well, they can start listening to this podcast and then, <laughs> yeah. So if you're going to show your child cars, please. I, I actually didn't hate the Mater character. And I think part of it was because like, I feel like he does remind me of people I actually know. Because like, you know, obviously not everyone from a small town is like that, but it's not like that's never happened before. Do you know what I mean? Like when I was in sure. high school, I feel like I could point at a table in the cafeteria and be like, those are the hicks. And then I graduated and I moved to a city and I was like, oh my God, we all were the hicks. You know what I mean? Like there's like levels to it. Yeah. I was like, that was yeah. me. I was in it. Well, maybe it's that thing of, 
because Tommy, my partner's from South Carolina, Anderson, South Carolina, and he does a character like similar to this. And it's really funny. It's like, but it is that thing where you're like in, in a world where everyone's stereotyped and there's no nuance to ground it. It's like, then you have all these little kids who are not from a town like this. Like if I saw this at this, that age, it's hard not to go off and do the accent and be like, I want to be made or, you know. I interviewed recently for this um, comedy writing fellowship and I had submitted like all the stand-up material and they were looking at it and during the interview they're like uh just curious have you ever heard about the phrase punching down and I was like oh no like what did they find in my stuff but it was literally because I had all these jokes about small town life that were in a way not, not like offensive to small towns but probably not portraying them in like the best light and I thought that was so interesting because I feel like it is like so easy like I, I feel like I really like love the place where I'm from and it's very easy to make fun of it but there's like, it's hard to flip that around and like make fun of people that are from cities that are not from that environment because there aren't stereotypes that are really associated with this dominant class, even though there are like things that I've noticed specifically about like city slickers ability to like handle like being in nature, like small towns. Like I have this friend who is a San Francisco native and we went camping and like they'll have bugs come at them and they'll start swinging at the bugs, like trying to like punch <laughs> the bugs away. <laughs> And it's so fascinating to me. But yeah, it is. I feel like it is difficult to like critique. I always feel like the Cars movie did like a decent job of that, of just showing how huge of an asshole McQueen is at, at the beginning so that they have something to compare to how he ends up. And I think like, correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like you were doing like, you know, that that self-deprecating humor of like, this is who yeah, I am. Yeah. This is where I'm from. You know, I can like, mm -hmm. I can I can make light of that. It's it's only punching down if one, if it's not funny and two, if like the intentions are hurtful. But if it's like, if it's coming mm -hmm. from a loving place, I think that there's like a way to do it. Well, it's interesting because I'm going to go back to the simple life for a moment because this is something I was watching quite actively at this age around. It, it started in 2003 and it wrapped in 2007, which is wild. I didn't realize it. Four seasons. My God. Five. Wow. I am going to find time to rewatch this. <laughs> That's... You're getting me to rewatch it now soon. Oh, so. I've never seen whole... it, but I'm so fascinated. Oh, wow. If you like cars, <laughs> CJ, you are going to love The Simple Life. Because it is. It's all class. It's Paris Hilton and Nicole Richie. And it's like what you're saying. Like there's like a, well, we're being self-deprecating about ourselves being these like dumb girls from New York. And actually, I have watched Paris Hilton's new show and or maybe it was her documentary. I I had it. This was part of myself. And this was important work for me. But I can cut she... all this if you want, by the way. <laughs> If Paris asks. <laughs> no, uh, leave this in. This is important. Because she was talking about how she even was putting on a role, like a character in this show because she goes on and she's like, I've never picked up a a rake before. But then it later came out that she had been in one of these wilderness, like one of these really abusive wilderness, like they, her, her family put her there. So she had actually done a lot of this. Like she's done hard labor. She was in this horrible situation but she plays this character where she's like, I'm so rich and so dumb from the city. Like, I couldn't possibly. But at the end of the day, when there's a class dynamic like that, you know who wins. You know who is punching down. It's really mm -hmm. hard to be like, no, both people are being made fun of. And that's fascinating that that was her experience previously with manual labor as literally as a punishment. Whereas for so many right. people, it's like what they have to do to survive. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was more than manual. It was like serious abuse. It was one of those yeah. where they like, kidnapped her in the middle of the night and like like those places I, why can't oh think that of sounds them. great for therapy <laughs> getting kidnapped <laughs> in the middle of the night you fixed 
three years. <laughs> yeah, where they take troubled teens and they like literally just like abuse. It's horrible. We we haven't talked at all about the Paul Newman character, Doc Hudson, who is the the judge of this town. Because I I did like the the turn with Doc Hudson and what we found out about him. So like what we. When we're introduced to Doc, he's like the town's judge. He's the one that's like, Lightning McQueen, you have to fix the road and we're not going to let you leave. Fair judgment. Absolutely. One Honestly, should have been prison time. Yeah. Well, at first he just wants him to leave because I think he's, he's getting triggered by having this race car around. Like he's oh, very much right. like, I yeah. know your type and try to get about that Sally comes through with her big, you know, speech. Wait, so you want carceral punishment? Carceral punishment? Yes. That's the only kind that I want for cars. But then Lightning McQueen comes to find out that Doc is actually the famous Hudson Hornet three-time winner of the Piston Cup. And he goes to Doc and he's like, oh my God, you're, you're a Hudson Hornet. Oh my God. They're like, tell me everything about... Tell me everything about being a racing car. That's a shockingly good Owen Wilson impression. Have you been working on that? I, it's not. He's a very, he's got a very uh, mimicable voice. But then Hudson tells this story, this like really heart-wrenching story about like, yeah, I won. I was like the best. And then I spun out one race and, you know, crashed. And the entire racing industry did not come to help me. They just fucking threw me out. They did not want me. I was no longer of utility to them. And I decided I didn't want to go back because those people didn't care of me, didn't take care of me. And I think that was, I thought that was a really poignant moment and something that is very true to the way that capitalist industries treat their workers, treat the people that create their value. Is like as soon as you are no longer to, able to create that value, as soon as you're, you're no longer able to serve you your utility, then pack up your bags and hit the road because you're a car. So I did, I really like the Doc Hudson storyline. I was fascinated by his relationship with Lightning McQueen too because. In the beginning, before McQueen finds this out about him, he kind of dismisses Doc as another, you know, hick or whatever. And Doc's giving him racing tips. Uh, they're, they're trying to race around this, like, local, like, dirt road. And McQueen keeps fucking it up because he's not, like, familiar with the local environment. And Doc's giving him advice. And he's like, he's an idiot. I'm not going to listen to him. And it's not until he finds out that Doc has succeeded by the same metric of success that Lightning McQueen himself is striving for that he actually is like, oh, I respect you. Like, I didn't realize you were this big hotshot racer that like won this cup. Like now I think you're a cool person. Did you say this, Frank, that this was also Paul Newman's last role? I mean, we have not said that yet. Yeah, this was his last uh, performance. Well, let me be the first to share this sad news. Yeah, Paul Newman has passed away. Yeah, in case you didn't know, the the gorgeous man from the salad dressing is gone. Interesting, because he had such an amazing career. This was the last performance. I will say, of, of all the cars in the movie, I feel like Doc was the, I'm, a, I'm afraid to even say it out loud, the most attractive car. He was the hottest car. <laughs> Thank you. Sure. Okay. Yeah. He for yeah. sure was the hottest car. What was he was like? He was a Cadillac. What was he? There's a lot coming up when I type Paul Newman cars in. So <laughs> this might be a minute. Just photos of Paul Newman in a car. Gorgeous. I'd like to talk about the music for a moment. The soundtrack. Go off. So my journey, as we discussed, I was mortified, <laughs> getting like um, rashes from these tongues on cars. But then I think a turning point was Rascal Flatts' version of Life as a Highway. I said. I love this. I love this. <laughs> this is good. This is, I can get down with this. And this, just in general, the soundtrack, I was just like, this is so Americana. They found every, mm -hmm. if you ever play like mm -hmm. an, an improv game where you have to think really quickly about songs that have to do with the cars, just take your brain back to this movie because it's got them all. 
I love there's a very heavy handed song in the middle of it, too, where they're talking about the collapse of Radiator Springs, that our town song where the lyrics are literally like capitalism destroyed our town and it used to be a community. <laughs> I was like, wow, they really, really laying the message down there. Yeah, that was the Main Street isn't Main Street anymore. Like, yeah, section. Yeah. This movie is very America coded. Like, this is clearly NASCAR, and I don't know a, a lot about racing, um, but I do know that, like, in the racing world, NASCAR is very much looked down upon by, mm-hmm. like, Formula by Formula One. Also interesting that, like, the United States of America exists. Like, who founded it? They're going to California. Like, we're in modern-day America. Car George but it's... Washington. I also, yeah, I the, the town where I grew up had a big racetrack. And I think that was my little brother's, like, first job that he ever had was working at the racetrack. And he, this is horrible, he and his friends used to play a game where they would try to see how many people who were missing at least one tooth they could get, like, sitting in a row. But also... <laughs> I so another thing I wanted to talk about. This is like a little off topic. Is the how the the process by which a lot of these small towns ended up supporting Donald Trump? Because in 2016, Hillary Clinton did not come to the state of Wisconsin once the whole time. Donald Trump went to the racetrack by my house. He did yeah. a rally in a town of 5,000 people at the racetrack. And I'm like, even if he's like, you know, bullshitting and lying about everything, I'm like the fact that he was like even willing to go there and be in that space. I'm sure he like bathed in bleach afterwards or something, but like, I don't know. I'm like, I'm just like, I feel like that's not something that you see from like Democrat politicians almost ever. Yes. One fucking million percent to that. Anytime I get into an argument with someone with like a Hillary stan over 2016, that is always the first thing I bring up, which is, well, maybe she should have gone to Wisconsin. That is what this movie is is saying. It's like we have these like liberal elites who are just like, oh, I don't even give I don't need to even think about that place. Mm-hmm. Why would any why would we even care? Those people don't matter. Yeah, I think this I, you know, now that we're talking about it more, I think you're right, CJ. I think this this movie has a lot of value in Turn around, baby. I thought the jokes were okay, the performances like it's not my favorite Pixar movie, but like it is very much a movie for I think like, yeah, for like working class people, especially in working class people in smaller communities that that feel abandoned by, yeah, the liberal coastal elites or their government or whatever. And this this movie is actually very uh, instructive. If someone doesn't understand why Donald Trump won in 2016, you could just be like, all right, we'll just watch Pixar's cars and maybe (laughs) maybe you'll fucking figure it out. I I would love to see car Trump. Don't give him any good ideas. Also. There was one part, I'm sure someone's already made it, actually. There was one part that made me laugh really hard every time, and it's when Lightning McQueen comes into the doctor's office, and the doctor is seeing the sheriff, and the sheriff is, like, on this lift, and it's it's implied that he has his ass out, and he's like, get a good look, city boy, and there's something about, like, the way that he said it, that I was just, like, on the fly, I had to, like, rewind and watch it again. It sounds like that was so satisfying. There's a lot of strain. There was like one bit where when the Mack truck is driving on the road, he's behind like a uh, a gas canister truck, you know, that's all metallic and mirrored. So he's just like making like tongue faces and in the back of the mirror. But I was like, that's that truck's ass. Like, get your face <laughs> out of that truck's ass. Like, this yeah, is. Yeah. You looked really triggered by the tongue thing again. Yeah, another one seared in my. I, I know that scene well now. I my job was. Away. <laughs> My jaw was on the floor. It is, I guess if there's, I don't know if I'm just pulling too much now out of this movie, but I I was thinking about just how, I mean, you mentioned that there's this racing track. This is like racing is something that happens definitely 
in small towns and all over, but it's also a super elitist fucking sport. And it also is a sport that, like, you do need capital to, like, do good at. You know, it's all about getting fancy fucking cars, knowing how to, you know, and then there's the other part. It's just, it's an the interesting metaphor yeah. for like the sponsor, all of the things. And it's, it's an easy metaphor to be like, nope, you can do it. Even if you're, you know, like you can, you can really pull your bootstraps up in this sport. But I think I you don't know. Again, I'm not an expert on it. I did date someone who was into racing and I saw how wealthy you have to be to like be in that world, particularly um, for fun. But yeah, I just think that's interesting. I think that's interesting. I'd be curious the facts. I, I absolutely agree. I, there also, however, is a type of racing for people who have no money. Like I remember the racetrack near my house would do. I'm not, I feel like I'm not going to remember this correctly, but it was like car destroying events. Like they would just take old, horrible cars and just like blow them up or like destroy them in creative ways. And everyone's like, yeah, that sounds <laughs> like great fun. And also, yeah, it's like an IRL action movie. That's also a great metaphor for just like destroying these things that represent. Yeah. But still also, yeah. where does, where do they go? Like they are not, this is not an environmentally friendly movie. Oh God, no. The the whole thing the the his dream is to be sponsored by a fossil fuel company, the Dynaco. <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah, yeah, yeah. But I guess they'll be fine in climate change. Like it's it's again all. Well, and jobs. also oil is not a renewable resource. I think I I read something that we're gonna run out of oil by like twenty fifty or twenty sixty. Like we're just like not gonna have any more. Um. Jeez. So I don't know what happens once they finish, once they get those last dregs out. It's just also I want to watch the existential version of this movie where where like a car's like what was that. What was I made for? <laughs> you know, like... I feel like there's supposed to be people inside of me. <laughs> like... <laughs> what are these doors for? <laughs> How are we reproducing? So bizarre. Like, I need to know if it's like a factory thing, if they have like car eggs. Sorry. <laughs> no, it, no, this, this, this movie raises all of these questions and answers none of them. It's possible that in the franchise, in the universe created around this, they maybe explore it. I won't be finding yeah. out. CJ, have you seen Cars 2, 3, and I think 4? There's a fourth Cars? Uh, should I? I don't know. <laughs> I'm kind of anti-sequel generally. Uh, I Fair. feel like they said everything they needed to say with the first one. Not only are there sequels, there's a podcast. There's so much that was dedicated to this because this was, I think we talked about it, but this was wildly financially successful. Mm -hmm. Wildly financially successful. So there's a podcast that went along with the DVDs. There's like, people were so into this. There is something about like little kids and cars that I don't fully understand. I used to work at like a Montessori school with like, babies like ages like zero to five and there was this little boy that would bring me this book that was literally just like a list of every type of car like it would have like a picture of the type and then it was like this specific like whatever tractor and he would make me read it to him like over and over again like he was like preparing for something <laughs> like i don't know like i think it's because they're just like new to life and they're taking everything out and they see cars everywhere like i can understand why they would be fascinated by it but well like you said at the top we're such a car culture that maybe yeah. that's also what this is pointing to and this movie also did something that disney had been trying to do for a long time which is like really capture like a young male audience because like for for decades it was all you know princesses and like the the demographics that were coming to their films were like largely you know, little girls. I, I, but it's true. Like, there's something... I, I remember being a little boy and, like, seeing friends, like, get into cars. And I was like, I don't... What? Am I supposed to like these things? I don't understand. Like, what's... What's... <laughs> 
I, I don't understand why they're because they're shiny because mm-hmm. they're fast. I don't get it, but it's mm-hmm. there's there's something they there. Pretended to. I think probably half of those boys are yeah. pretending to like the car just like half of the girls Posers. are pretending to like the yeah. princess because they're like this is what i'm being told i'm supposed mm-hmm. to like sure all right so it's time for the awards for this movie we've got three of them first award best politics goes to the car with the the best politics in the movie i think it might be mater i think it might be yeah. larry the cable guy as mater he's just like he loves his town. He loves his friends. He's so nice to Lightning McQueen as soon as he shows up, even though he is such an asshole. Just seems like a good-natured guy who just cares about the right things. I agree. I also, I really respect um, Sally and Doc just for the the fact that they're both, they weren't born into small towns, but they have moved into these communities and have developed like such a love for these for Radiator Springs and have developed all these like, mm. beautiful relationships and have like put so much into that town. I've kind of like reached the conclusion, which I feel like is the opposite of how everyone feels of like, oh, this is actually better than like the life that I was living before. Like I remember Sally's talking about how she used to be like a hotshot lawyer in a big city and she's like, it was so empty. Like she's just like was so yes. unhappy. And then moving from that to like this little area in the middle of nowhere and like finding the beauty in that. I don't know. That's very impressive to me. I loved when Sally invited Lightning for a drive and he's like, to go where? And she's like, just to drive. And I was like, that's such like a, oof, that's like, that's such an anti-capitalist. Like, we don't have to be doing anything. It's just like, yeah. we're just being, we're just existing. Well, and also there's not shit to do in, in small communities. <laughs> My friends and I literally used to like hang out in the Walmart parking lot. Cause it's like, where are we going? Like, there's just nothing around. Oh Yeah. In my town, yeah. uh, we only had one thing to do, which was the bowling alley in the middle of town. And then one winter, it just fell down. There was too much snow on top and it just like the bowling alley collapsed. So then there was this just big rubble pile in the middle of my town. And then like ev- all the kids started just hanging out at the rubble pile. It was oh, just, like, that pl- it's just like, you got out of get out of school, head on over to the rubble pile. You know. <laughs> I know a place. You know <laughs> what? I, I grew up in, you could say, the heart of it all, New York City. And we just ended up hanging out on street corners. To, like, you know what I mean? There's so much to do. Yeah. And all we would end up doing, we would go to, you know, by 59th Street, they have the Globe right by Trump Towers. But like, it's like they call we would call it the Globe. And that's like what you would you would be like, we're going to the Globe to do what? <laughs> to stand there. Like, it could be your rubble pile. It could be the that's globe. Fair. There's something about teens just want to stand. Yeah. I f- and I feel like there's not really, like, third spaces that are accessible to teenagers at all. Do you know what totally. I mean? Like, you can't really hang out in the library because you need to be quiet there. Yeah. And you and can't, you, like, you know. Someone needs to have a cool parent who just, like, lets you guys all hang out in the basement and drink light beers or something. Lest you be crawling around in the rubble <laughs> doing what kids do. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go with those yeah. two. I-, I might give a shout out to, did you know George Carlin's also in this movie? Oh, yes, I did. As Fillmore, Fillmore, right? Was the hippie. I mean, Yeah, the hippie. Hippies always have generally decent politics until they age out of them. He did have that one great line near the end, which was a very George Carlin line where he's like, it's the oil companies, man. They own everything. We'll I think he's pause. not even wrong. Like He's not wrong. I, I hate that they gave that character to like the, you know, hippie because I'm like, speak your truth, King. Like. And good for good for McQueen for saying yes to the homegrown, what was it, vegetable oil or whatever it was. Yeah, the organic oil fuel yeah. or something. All right, our next award is Worst Politics. Goes to the car with the worst politics in the movie. I want to say Lightning McQueen at the very beginning. I don't know if it's like the worst, but it's not great. Uh, it's not great. The only other one I would think of is like, what's what's the name of the Michael Keaton car? <laughs> That's like the green one that he has to... Chick? 
chick buster car. Or yeah yeah chick, chick, chick you're right chick car something like that he's a real he's a real shithead his whole thing is like knocking cars off the road and hurting other people yeah, and just like yeah. pure self-interest he's like i don't care how many cars i need to murder in this race yeah. i am going to win it he rips off lightning mcqueen's bit you know he does the lightning ka-chow and then he starts doing thunder and then his little noise it's rude. <laughs> he's yeah. He's stealing. He's stealing someone else's material. That is cannot do that. Bad that politics, is unforgivable. Yeah. Bad politics. <laughs> I think the if I'm going to go just strictly political, I think probably the worst politics was the the guy who at the end tries to like get him away from from Rusty's. He's like the head of oh he's like the CEO of Dynaco, mm -hmm. the oil yeah, sponsor. I'm, yeah, like my guy probably has the worst politics. Yeah, he's a fossil fuel executive. Yeah, so. Yeah. He spent a he spent a lot of money lobbying car congress. And it was so there was an interesting, you know, if you're going to really if you're going to really dissect it even more of like they could have made him more of a bad guy, but they really made a choice at the end to he's like, you know, it's cool if you don't want to be with us. I get it. You want to be with Rusty's like but if there's anything you need and then he turns around and he's like actually cuz he promised his best friend that he would give him get him in this helicopter and so he's the one who can facilitate that it's very pro capital it's very like this guy ultimately can and will make your dreams come true and there's nothing evil about him kids <laughs> he won't ask for anything in return he'll just give you whatever you want because selfishness is the problem not the system of capital Ooh, okay that wins Yep. No, you're bars. right. He's a <laughs> bad bars. dude. Again, this is what you should win. If you're going to show your child this terrifying film, make sure they listen to our podcast in tandem. <laughs> Cars are not real. <laughs> this is not real life. We should find a way to link this podcast instead of the official Cars one. Wouldn't that be great? People yeah. go looking for like, the Disney Cars podcast. I mean, if people search Cars, you know. They're gonna they're gonna find us eventually. What is there even to talk about on a Disney Cars podcast? They go deep. This is a whole universe. This is a whole imagine like us, but like just drinking the Kool-Aid. I mean, look how much we've talked, you know? Yeah. They're probably yeah. like, I loved that tongue when it touched the I hope they cover car reproduction in the podcast. Uh, I might have to write them and just <laughs> see what they have going on. Just out of morbid curiosity, I feel like I have to watch Cars 2 and Cars 3 now. Just if I can get some answers about this car universe and <laughs> how these cars achieve sentience. There's like a random human in the last movie as like a throwaway shot. And you're like, what the fuck? <laughs> and the movies just don't address it. Well, not that this film needs any more spinoffs, but our last award is Best Supporting slash Spinoff. This goes to the supporting character that this movie should actually be about or that you might want to explore further. I'm all about those Italian cars. What is it? Luigi and Luigi and Guido. Just these two yeah. Italian. Tony Shalhoub. Tony Shalhoub playing an Italian guy. Very stereotypically, but that's okay. We, you can make fun of Italians as much as you want. I get, I, uh, I am allowing it for all Italians. <laughs> no, I want to see like how did they come from? Because he's like a Fiat, and then like a another little Italian car. How did they make it from Italy, which we are to assume is a country, uh, all the way to the United States and end up in Radiator Springs? I'm, I'm fascinated. That's very real. I want to say Mater, but that's kind of a cop out because I think they did do a spinoff series on him. But oh, I did they? again, I know he's kind of. I, I'm pretty sure I'm, I'm almost positive, uh, at least like a short or something. But I don't know. I, I know he's like a caricature, but I also was like, oh, home, you know, like, <laughs> like he gets it. I don't know. <laughs> and then and the tractor tipping. Yeah, he's just out having a great time. No enemies, only friends. 
except for Frank, that that Thresher that tried to kill them. I want to learn more about the Thresher as well because I don't. <laughs> he didn't speak. He just kind of roared at them and almost yeah. killed them. This is what I'm saying. Like, which vehicles get consciousness and which are just animals? This doesn't. This is this is like a goofy Pluto situation. It, it is kind of anti-agriculture because they never show who is actually farming, and I don't even know what they would need to be farming because cars only need fuel. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah what do you have tractors for i will say this is very not this is bad improviser of me but i'm not gonna yes and this i'm gonna say if up to me this world ends now no more <laughs> <laughs> no more sentient cars wow i don't think we've ever had someone give that it's award which is just like wow. no award no more of this universe it stops it but stops perhaps here. i'll watch wow. a movie actually you know what I'll be. I'll watch a movie about maybe it's Mater starts to question like again like why the fuck are we here? <laughs> what is our purpose? And maybe that leads to like an existential and maybe Mater just like kills them all off. I imagine if anyone's gonna have that kind of a, a realization, it's gonna be the hippie car, right? Taking some yeah. weird fuel and yeah, just yeah, going yeah. on a journey. And then being like, wait a minute, man, <laughs> we're cars. Actually, that's a good one. Like Fillmore, yeah. the hippie, the hippie van being like, we got to take down the car government, man. Like, I I would watch that. Yeah, I would watch that. That's the uh, only one I will watch. The only and he one can't have his tongue out even once. <laughs> I don't even want to see it in the mouth. No, that's scene one. He cuts their tongues out. I see. I wish this is what the people at the gym knew I was experiencing. It wasn't like <laughs> like you have a visible thought bubble of just like all of your yeah. hatred. Yeah, I almost tongue. wanted to turn yeah. around and be like, "Hey, just <laughs> just in case you <laughs> caught this." Yes, I'm watching Cars. It's uh, not why you think. Yeah, that really would have made it better if you were like, "Um, I host a podcast. Everyone, uh, it's okay. Don't worry. I'm a I'm a podcast host. I'm a podcast host." Everyone can relax. This isn't me. It's just my job. Like, <laughs> like, cool. That made this a lot less weird. Great. Thank you. CJ, this was so much fun. Thank you for, I'm, I'm really grateful that you did pitch this because yes. this was a, this was a worthwhile conversation and I, yeah, I really appreciate you guys watching it, even pushing through when they're, when the tongues are popping out. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't animators. have any trouble with the animation. I think it expanded me as a human. It was difficult but worthy. Um, so the last thing we like to ask our guests before we leave is, and we asked you this last time, is there one way that you, uh, you know, practice your anti-capitalist values in your day-to-day -day life? Uh, I believe last time you told us about cooperative living, which yes. was super cool. Do you have any, is there any, a mm -hmm. new one that you wanted to mention this time around? I was going to ask if I could use the same answer again. I actually, I just moved out of that co-op and um, started my own recently, or like started one in oh, San cool. Francisco. I don't know. I don't know what else. I, I've been trying to, like create so yeah i also do stand up i've been trying to specifically write jokes that are uh, like starting with like some political belief that i have that i want more people to be exposed to or to like think about and trying to find a way to workshop that into a joke which is like kind of hard especially because you don't have a ton of control over who you're performing for a lot of the times like like i've done audiences where it's all like wealthy tech people and I'm like I have no idea how to make you laugh I think half of you should be guillotined like I don't know <laughs> how to connect with these audiences so that's really challenging but I don't know I, I feel like it's it's been fun for me trying to find a way to talk about things that are really heavy in a way that makes people laugh and like trying to figure out like the science of that I don't know if that's something that everyone like has access to but I'm sure there's well, a I way. think that's great because I, I think mm -hmm. what I'm hearing you say is just 
the act of intentionality in whatever we're we're doing, but especially for creatives. And I think there that's that's not talked about enough that you can you can have a political intentionality. It doesn't have to be something that just maybe might happen or things have politics. You can really make a choice to strive for that. And injecting your politics into anything you're working on, whether it be yes. something creative, whether it be something like material, like there's always there's there's usually always an opportunity to to gently sneak your political views in in a way that's like approachable um and that's great i wish more i wish more like super successful comedians like gave a shit about uh, you know the billionaires who are fucking destroying everything but that seems like they just want to be like we should leave those guys alone exactly when it's, it becomes complicated when you become very commercially successful because a lot of times like if you're working in tv or something um they like won't let you say certain things on air or like if you you know, or repeatedly like bring certain points of view in, like there's, you might lose your job or so. I don't know. There's like all these challenges. I agree with you. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it, it sucks that like, yeah, trying to like raise that critique in a capitalist system and then having to compete with all these people that like just want to get famous and like don't necessarily feel like they have to like stick by any strong system of beliefs. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's frustrating. CJ, where can our audience find you if you'd like them to on the internet? I am CJ Kep, K-O-E-P-P -P, on Instagram, uh, Van Gardigan on TikTok. Uh, I finally made a link tree with shows that I have coming up hey. just in the Bay Area. Yeah. But I'll, I'll also be doing a comedy festival in Austin, Texas in April. Oh, cool. Oh, hell yeah. Uh, the Lysistrata Comedy Festival. I'm really excited for that. It's like a women's like, queer, I think, uh, a comedy festival. Fun. So oh, dope. it's going to be a great time. Awesome. Well, it was Amazing. great seeing you. Thank you again for yeah. joining us. And uh I'm sorry that I was hard on cars up at the top, but I'm glad that you, <laughs> you convinced came me otherwise. Came around. That's awesome. Thank you, guys. Had a great time. Thank you all so much for listening. Make sure to follow us on Instagram and TikTok. And if you want to support the show and get access to our premium episodes, you can go to MVC Pod to find all of that information. For next week's movie, we'll be watching the 1997 action thriller starring Nicolas Cage and John Travolta, Face Off. Thanks, everyone. Bye. 